Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's look at a famous and difficult and in-depth passage. All right, this is Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, Matthew interjects in a parenthetical here, now we're back to red letter text, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on, uh, a man on the housetop must not come down and get things out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to the pregnant woman and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for at that time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved, but those days will be cut short because of the elect. If anyone tells you then, see, here is the Messiah, or over here, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you in advance, so that if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or, see, he's in the storerooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, there the vultures will gather. These passages likely describe events related to the sacking of Jerusalem in the year AD 70. However, uh, verse 29 indicates that this is also closely associated with the second coming of Jesus. All right, here's, here's the next verse. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All right, so there is a simultaneity to this passage. I've seen a clear case made that this describes the sacking of Jerusalem, but I also see without conflict that this also describes the second coming of the Son of Man, right? the second coming of Jesus as parallel to Revelation chapter 19. A duality to such passages is not a new thing in Scripture. When we see the description in Ezekiel of the king of Tyre, T-Y-R-E, we also see that it bears simultaneity to the description of Satan himself, the, the backstory of Lucifer. When we read Psalm 34, we can see a parallel between God's ministry to David and his distress and a prophecy of Christ on the cross. In fact, that passage is quoted by John while giving the passion narrative at the cross. What Jesus has spoken here also begins with a reference in verse 15 to the abomination, uh, the abomination of desolation. He even says that it's described in the book of Daniel. See Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 that this is spoken of by the prophet of Daniel standing in the holy place. This is describing, uh, this is describing a, uh, a, a period wherein um, an idolatrous object utterly desecrates Jerusalem. And uh, Josephus, uh, Flavius Josephus, and a Jewish historian, uh, identified it as the, the shedding of priestly blood in the sanctuary several years before the destruction of the temple. You can see that in, in his writings, War. 
Uh, but Jesus' description of the abomination as standing in the temple des uh, uh, describes it as an object and not necessarily an event. So the abomination of desolation could be interpreted as, you know, uh, it's interpreted as the beast or the Antichrist is colloquially known, standing there proclaiming himself to be God. It's described uh, by Josephus potentially as the massive shedding of priestly blood. But uh, it's also believed to be this uh, desecration of Jerusalem in AD 70. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. That's exactly what happened after the sacking of Jerusalem in AD 70. Everybody left town. <coughs> a man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your, your escape may be in winter and not on the Sabbath. Like, it's bad news. Everybody's got to flee. That's exactly what happened upon the sacking of Jerusalem in the year 70. By that time, there'll be great distress that's never been known before. Um, but those days will be cut short because of the elect, the text says. It's a promise by God. It's a good thing, too. It's a foretelling of immense distress. It's a foretelling of suffering, you know, even upon righteous people. That's incredibly important to remember because this... This characteristic of God is often overlooked and it's referenced more often than anything else. And the reason why people leave the church behind, you have no concept of Jesus talking like this. You've never studied passages like these. He's foretelling of desolation and mass suffering. This says for the sake of, uh, uh, this, this says uh, because of the elect, okay? Uh, if the afflictions of this time were to keep happening, no one would be saved, like no one would survive. But because of God's mercy on his own chosen people, uh, the time is shortened and it's held short of total destruction. In Revelation 12, 14 and in Daniel 7, 25, uh, we see that the actual length of the time the beast will be permitted to terrorize the world is fixed at three and a half years. All right, uh, so you have you have three and a half years, that's half of seven years time. That timeline is, is consistent throughout, uh, th uh, you know, throughout descriptions of, of the tribulation and the great tribulation. This time period is limited to three and a half years time and it's good. It's because of God's mercy upon his people. Uh, the term elect refers Bible-wide as Israelites who believe. All right, in the New Testament context, it's Israelites who believe in Jesus. Like these are the ones who are chosen by God and are saved and they believe. This comes up again in Romans chapter 11, see our series in YouTube, How Christians Are Made. For more on that, God is predicting and foretelling. He's telling you this ahead of time so that he's on the record here. Don't believe people who say, oh, Jesus came back, he's over here. Oh, here's the Messiah over here. I had this discussion last week. It is so, it is so maddeningly funny to me that this is so clearly written and yet it's something that comes up. There's always some wackadoo who comes out to try to predict the second coming of Christ and he's wrong to have made a prediction at all. Here's Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 23. If anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah or over here, don't believe it, okay? Jesus went on record for this exact reason. When you try to point to Christians making predictions about the second coming of the Messiah, and you use that to try to disprove the Bible, demonstrate in ignorance. You haven't read the book, man. 
It's like in English class when the guy with the last name starting with A gets up first to present his findings on the reading of a last Babylon and he clearly hasn't read it and he gives a perfect description of the plot line of the Lion King. You know he hasn't read the book. That's what's happening here, only this actually matters infinitely more. Don't believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. So even those wackadoos, as I call them, are fulfillment of this prophecy. But there's something darker here too. This abomination of desolation is going to be accompanied by physics-breaking, darkly miracles, wherein even Christians are going to be led astray. Even the elect are going to be deceived. You're going to watch stuff happen that defies physics, but it's not going to be of God. There's another reason why I tell people not to be so dependent on signs and wonders and miracles. So if they tell you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or he's in the storerooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the, the coming of the Son of Man. This is where in verse 27, I believe this also connotates to Revelation 19, where you're describing those two events in simultaneity, both the sacking of Jerusalem and the second coming of Jesus, which I, just, I pinpoint uh, to Revelation chapter 19. So we'll talk more about that one tomorrow.